I wonder how you would answer the question, what is God like? Some might say, well, he's big, isn't he? He's everywhere. Another would say, oh, yes, but he's not only big, but he knows everything. And others would say, ah, but really what it is, is that he is love. But what does that actually mean? And how might somebody answer that and explain that who didn't yet know God? Others might say, oh, he's fierce, isn't he? You only have to look at the Old Testament to see his wrath and his judgment. He's a frightening God. Well, we would say, perhaps, those of us that know him, yes, he's justifiably angry about sin. But if we stop there, we miss something so crucial, so important about God. And others would say, well, what about his holiness? He's so holy. He's so different. Surely we can't come close to him. Isaiah, earlier in his book in chapter 6, had something of that idea when he wrote these words. In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, that's like angelic beings, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. It's a remarkable description of the holiness of God. But wonderfully, Isaiah doesn't stop there. He recognised his unworthiness because of this holy God. And a couple of verses later, we read this. He touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Yes, God is big and everywhere and all-knowing and justifiably angry because of sin and utterly holy. And yet, his heart's desire is to take away our guilt and atone for or put right our relationship with him in atoning our sin. When today's passage that Katie's just read for us, Isaiah 55, we get this wonderful insight into what God is really like, into his heart for the people he created. Now this morning, rather than going into fine detail, because there's so much that could be said, I want to give a broad overview of this wonderful chapter with, I hope, giving you some excitement about the idea of spending time in this passage during the week. Spend time meditating on it, praying through it, chewing it over, talking to God about what you're learning from him through it, and get deep into 
what it means for God's heart to be so utterly generous towards you. So I've got three, uh, three things I just want to cover as we go through uh, the talk this morning. Firstly, a simple invitation with a simple response and then focusing on a glimpse into God's heart. So first of all, the simple invitation, a beautiful invitation to come and to listen. And we see it's written to all those in need, to everybody who needs to experience the everlasting love of this glorious God. In, verse, in chapter 54, verse 7, Isaiah writes this, uh, references that about God's compassion. So how are we to experience God's compassion? Well, at one level, it's not very complicated. Firstly, we're to come. And that's an important invitation. It's repeated five times in this short section. And the invitation is to come to the one who is able to satisfy. Verse two, the Lord, Yahweh, is the one who satisfies with the finest drink and the finest food without charge. And of course, 800 years or so later, Jesus said, didn't he, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. As we know, Jesus was God and was upsetting people in New Testament times by that claim. But what it tells us is that if we want to know what God is like, then all we need to do is come to Jesus and look at Jesus. And the second part of that invitation is to listen. And that's important too. It's repeated three times in these few verses. We need to listen because God is speaking to us of an everlasting covenant fulfilling what was promised to David. And the sign of that promised covenant will be a universe permanently and perfectly restored. We see that in verse 13 where everything is made new. All the bad stuff will be made new and be made good for all eternity. So it's a simple invitation. The question is, how should we respond to that invitation? Well, Isaiah helps us in verses six and seven. He says this, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Now, whether you're one of God's chosen people, thus, as verse 5 suggests, to us attracting others to him, or one of the wicked, unrighteous people who continually harden their hearts against God and won't believe in him, whoever you are, Isaiah says you should turn from your sin and seek him. And it's important to realise that this isn't an open-ended instruction. We need to seek him now. You see, a time will come when it's too late. A time will come when we've run out of opportunity to find peace. And that will be the fate of those who continually reject God. 
in a couple of chapters later in Isaiah, chapter 57, 20 and 21, we read this. But the wicked are like the tossing sea which cannot rest, whose waves cast up mire and mud. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. So we really mustn't ignore the reality that there is judgment waiting for those who harden their hearts against God, who constantly say, no, I don't want to come. No, I don't want to listen. No, I don't want what you're offering, Lord. You know, that phrase that we've just read in those verses, there is no peace for the wicked. People often use it, don't they? Quite glibly these days. You've just sat down for your cup of tea you think, I'm going to have a good 10 minutes of rest. And then somebody comes in and says, can you do this? And you get up and you say, oh, there's no peace for the wicked, is there? It's kind of, I've just been interrupted. But that phrase in its origins in the book of Isaiah is speaking of eternal judgment and separation from God. Not just about being disturbed in a moment of rest. And that's tragic, isn't it? But here's the great news from this passage in Isaiah. It's avoidable. The wicked and the unrighteous can come. They can listen to God's covenant promise. They can receive his mercy and his abundant pardon. Yes, it's right that we recognize this. God is justifiably angry at sin. Ultimately, sin and God cannot coexist. So let's not be any doubt that God will punish sin. But here's the thing that comes through this passage. That is not his heart's desire. His heart's desire is to have compassion, to show mercy, that all those people who deserve his judgment come and take that invitation because he wants to abundantly pardon and bring peace. So what are those who do accept the invitation then and seek the Lord? Well, the next section from verse 7b to 13 gives us a tantalizing insight into the heart of God. And this section begins with these glorious words. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Well, I asked you uh, a few moments ago, what is God like? Actually, answering that question is more difficult than you might think. Because normally when we approach God, we do so from the perspective of sinful people. We might say, yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know God's forgiven me and shown me mercy. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, I know that. And I know I deserve your judgment and punishment, Lord. Yes, yes, thank you. I, I know that. It's so generous of you to put aside your anger and forgive me again and again. So, yeah, I know, Lord, I, I should be praying harder. And, and I, I must try more. I must study more. I must try harder not to sin. Of course, those are really good things to do. But the risk is, if my desire is to try harder to do something for God, 
I fundamentally change the view of who he is, my view of who he is. I make the view of who he is based on me. We're so easy at focusing on ourselves, aren't we? I, I can manage, Lord, I can do it. Actually, I'm pretty confident I'm going to be okay. But I'll tell you what, I'll pray if I get stuck. Or, oh, I'm much too sinful. I can't pray to God. I'm far too bad for that. What I've done is far too shameful. God wouldn't accept, surely couldn't accept someone like me. But the problem is, that's human thinking. Dare I say it, that's sinful thinking. It's definitely wrong thinking. In the Christianity Explored course, we see a lovely illustration of this in one of the videos. It begins with a little girl on Christmas morning under the tree selecting this wonderful looking present and her parents are there proudly looking on as she opens this amazing gift. And as she opens the gift, initially she looks at it and smiles and then her smile fades away and there's a deep frown and she looks up and she says to her mum and dad, okay, how much do I owe you? You see, she's completely missed the point. She's been given a gift that she doesn't have to pay for. I think there's a risk sometimes we can be a bit like that with God. Lord, what do I need to do for you? And yet, he is compassionate. He is merciful. He wants to abundantly pardon. Not just that kind of half-hearted, begrudging, Oh, Steve up to his usual sinful tricks again. Oh, well, I suppose I'd better do something about it again. No, that's not what God is like. He longs to pardon again and again and again. A couple of weeks ago, um, Jeanette recommended this book, uh, Gentle and Lowly by Dane Orland. I also heartily recommend it for your holiday reading. In that book, Ortland says this, returning to God in fresh contrition, however ashamed and disgusted with ourselves, he will not tepidly pardon. He will abundantly pardon. He does not merely accept us. He sweeps us up in his arms again. This wonderful Gracious, compassionate God knows how hard we find it to understand this abundance of his. You see, our minds, mine anyway, are tiny, minuscule, vanishingly small. That's what verse 8 and 9 in our passage are all about. We need to look at God from a different perspective. If you like, we need to change our glasses to view him differently. You see, he is, he is not like us. His thoughts of love and compassion and his desire to forgive are beyond our human comprehension. And that's why it's such good news that it's not down to us to work it all out. Yes, he's made us 
in his image. And so he loves us so much that we simply need to come to him to receive his compassion, to receive his abundant pardon. And when we do that, what happens? God continually sustains us and keeps us. Look at verses 10 to 13 in our passage. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. In other words, just as the rain falls to make things grow and to give us water to drink and to fill the rivers, and then it evaporates and it returns to the sky and it forms more clouds for more rain to fall, for the cycle to continue sustaining the world. So when God speaks, his word, the same word that spoke all of creation into being, does its work of bringing about God's purposes and plans. It continues doing its work as God continues to speak through his word. Nothing can divert it. It never runs out. There's no drought of God's word. That's why Isaiah could say in chapter 40, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. You see, God's heartbeat is that his people should know real joy, that his people should know real peace. Peace and joy so profound that the whole of creation will dance to its tune, says Isaiah. It's joy and peace that can only come when we are truly reconciled to God, when our sin has been put aside because it's been atoned for. This is the glorious future that he is restoring us for. He delights to come to us, to fill us with joy, to pour his mercy into us, to abundantly pardon. That's his heart. That's his desire for you and for me. And so for the one who comes and listens and receives what God offers from his very heart. There is a simple invitation with a simple response that gives us a wonderful glimpse into God's heart. Friends, you know, whatever you've done, whatever struggles you might be facing, whatever pain, you might be feeling, whatever grief at the loss of a loved one you are suffering, however lonely you feel during these difficult times of isolation, or even if you feel you simply can't approach this holy God because you are too sinful. Friends, will you let the Lord speak into your heart through Isaiah this morning? Listen to these words from Isaiah 57, just a couple of chapters after the one we've read. 
For this is what the high and exalted one says, he who lives forever, whose name is holy. I live in a high and holy place, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. I will not accuse them forever, nor will I always be angry, for then they would faint away because of me, the very people I've created. I was enraged by their sinful greed. I punished them and hid my face in anger. Yet they kept on in their willful ways. I've seen their ways. But I will heal them. I will guide them and restore comfort to Israel's mourners, creating praise on their lips. Peace. Peace to those far and near, says the Lord, and I will heal them. Let me pray for us. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you so much that we can come to you. A God who is so holy that the temple shook and was filled with smoke at your presence. And yet knowing that your heart's desire is to abundantly pardon and pour out your mercy on us and fill us with peace and joy and life. Oh, Father God, on those days when we seek to do it all ourselves, when we push you to one side, when we arrogantly and foolishly think we won't need you because we think we can cope. Father, once more, we pray, would you pour out your heart into ours that we may be filled with the life and the joy that you so long to give us. Fill us afresh day by day with that joy, we pray. And thank you Thank you for the bottom of our hearts, for all that you have poured into us from yours. In Jesus' name. Amen.